Welcome back to Let's Talk Dog Podcast. My name is B. I'm your administrator and moderator, and these are the ladies of Let's Talk Dog. What's going on, Dog Freaks? This is Norka the Dog Guru from Central Florida. Hi, it's Alexis, vintage dog trainer in Missouri. And we have our up, special, I'm... special guest here today. <laughs> What's happening, people? I'm Danny Wells. I own Unleashed Canine Services. I'm in the UK in Merseyside. Welcome, Danny. Welcome, welcome. welcome. Thank you very I'm much. I'm so happy that you decided to come on. I wasn't sure when I messaged you if you were going to or not, because I was like, oh, if he has any idea who I am. Um, it's not really It's not really that. I've, I've been asked to, to become on a few podcasts, but I tend to just keep myself to myself because I am an acquired taste and I'm aware of that. So I just tend to do my own thing. But I'm, um, I'm going to be launching an online academy towards the end of the summer. So I'm going to start getting involved in some things when I get the invite now. I, you know, I'll have to just uh, learn to play nice, <laughs> so to speak. Thanks for playing with us. We appreciate it. <laughs> oh, I love an innuendo. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask you a couple of pretty standard questions. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, who you are and how you got started in dog training and uh, and what brought you to where you are now? Um, God, quite an in-depth question, that. Yeah, so I've, um, I've been into dogs my whole life. I've never been without dogs, um, as most people say. I never, ever realized it was going to be me calling. It was just something that I did, you know what I mean? It was kind of a... Um, a sanctuary away from the real world when I was getting on with, with, with other things and pursuing different careers. But I was always doing this behind the scenes, helping people with dogs and so on. And um, it went until I was about a year away from uh, qualifying with the level sixes to be a sign language interpreter that I realized that I'm probably not going to be that content doing that. And then I started taking it seriously thinking, basically I thought I had a choice. I had a choice that I can do something that brings a lot of money but I'm going to need to balance that out with something that brings me joy in life. Otherwise, I'm going to be pretty miserable. Or I can choose something that doesn't bring a lot of money, but I'm going to love going to work every single day. And I chose that. And lo and behold, I didn't realize there was that many messed up dogs that I can make a bloody good living from doing something that I love doing. So that's how I've ended up here today. How long ago was that? Um, just going on 10 years now. Yeah. Yeah. How old but, are but, you? I mean, you don't look old enough for that. <laughs> I'm 37. I'm 37. Yeah. A little bit of a baby face going on there. Yeah, that's why I'm growing the beard. Yeah. People take me more serious. Something about our generation there. Yeah. It is something about our generation. <laughs> All right. And have you ever done any like formal training or any certifications or anything like that? Or is that something that you don't think is necessary? No, I, sh- I went away from all that. I've, um, to be honest, when I started taking this seriously, a lot of influences was like, you know, me, me, me granddad and stuff like that. Um, people, I used to always watch, you know, old school dog training. And it, was, it, went, it went the way it should be. And then I started reading when I was going to take this seriously. And I fell down this whole force-free kind of way of doing things. So I started trying to change everything. And it went long before I realized that I'm not really getting that far with doing this. So then I started apprenticing with um, a local trainer. I won't really go too much into that because I didn't. I finished on bad terms. I learned a lot there, but I also learned a lot of what I don't want to be as a dog trainer. Um, this person that I was with for years, um, I learned a lot from. Like I said, I learned a lot of what not not to do. And when I started realizing there was things that I was learning that I shouldn't be doing, we started to clash a little bit. And um, 
we 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 parted on um, on bad terms, and I ended up working for another company as um, head of uh, training. Was he more on the compulsion side? Um, he was, he was, he was reward based, but it weren't so much compulsion because, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer of there is well, a firm believer, excuse me, of there is a time and a place for every style of dog training. No one dog is the same. Right. But what I was finding is there was a lack of education behind what was going on. For example, you know, I'm not going to go into bashing people, but one time I, I watched I watched him assess whether a dog was suitable for any collar and first the, the first thing he'd done was put the dog on the e-collar and let the dog off lead so i was thinking well why has he done that because if this goes wrong and this dog flees what is right. going to happen and he literally tagged the dog and the dog jumped about about six foot in the air it went on on a high level the dog was just super sensitive right. and the dog i could see like the dog was blaming the grass and i was like this isn't right this because i've done my own reading and after going down the force free avenue it put me on the path of what kind of ponds that i need to be fishing in for information and I was like, nah, this isn't the way it should be. And I just started doing my own thing. And funny enough, I went away from him. He actually, he actually dicked me in a trial. We went to do a BIPTD trial and he told me the wrong criteria. And when we got there, I weren't prepared for that trial. And I knew he'd set me up. So I disappeared for about four to five months. And I started doing my own thing with me, with, with my own dog away from what he'd done. And my dog, when I come back, left everyone for dead. That was Brody. And um when he started doing like um, open days and seminars, he kept getting me out and going, this is the standard. This is the standard that you get when you follow the training and you follow me methods and all this. And I used to just smile thinking, this isn't your methods. This is all me, this, this is all me. But I just let him have his, have his moment. And then we just parted ways. We just parted ways. And, you know, I mean, like I said, every, you, let, you get lessons from everything. I am, I am grateful for what I learned there. And what I'm, you know, we, we did deal with a lot of really, really serious um, aggression cases. But, I also learned that, that the tactful hand of changing your methods oh. depend to, to which dog. And I never learned that from this person. I learned that from self-exploring. Do you know what I mean? That's great. Love it. All right. Love now, it. With, within dog training, um, where is your, what is your passion? What is your favorite thing to do for the, as, dog, as a dog trainer? Your favorite um, type of I think um, I think in, it's, it's not actually cases in the dog, it's cases in the people. I think there's that much confusion today in dog training. I, I love it when I see my client's shoulders just relax. They come to me thinking that there is absolutely no hope. They've spent thousands of pounds with vet referred behaviorists. Some of the dogs are in on medication. They literally come to me like they're on the last legs, sorry, the last chance. And when I explain how simple things are and demonstrate it for them, I think we can all agree. Once you see that relief in a client's face, I love the feeling of they're going to do this. They're literally going to go home now and train the shit out of that dog because they realize that dog training is actually its most effective and it's most beautiful at its most simplest form. Right. All this overcomplicating is just completely unnecessary. And I love that. I love that. And then when you just, when you start seeing the dog improve, that's, that's, that's a, just a bonus. That's a bonus. But I think there's a lot of, you know, everyone focuses on the dogs in this industry industry. And what we forget is, if we don't focus on them people, the dogs have got no hope. You have, to, you have to win the people. You have to show the people that there's a difference for the dog to even stand a chance. Right. Yeah. Obviously, the more serious the behavior, the bigger the relief you see in the client. And, and I think like what you do, you don't, you don't just manage like these dogs. You don't just get them to do a place because they're aggressive. So now people can walk in the house. Nope. You, you rehabilitate, like you really change this dog's 
quality of life. Like you change the way the dog looks at everything. You change the way the owner looks yeah. at everything. And then I think that's the beauty in the work you do. It's like, it's, Thank you. it is about the human and it is about the dog, but we make sure like the human is a trainer now. Like you have to make yeah. that owner the dog trainer. Cause yeah, that's the, it. I have, I have a name. I have a little a little niggle in me lizard brain that I just have this obsession about getting away from false positives because in this industry you see a lot of false positives and you see a lot of management when there doesn't need to be management they're not you know training to manage a behavior is not training to resolve a behavior and I see a lot of that from from you know people who who pass themselves off as being you know quite established trainers which is fine as long as you're explaining that to the client but if you're selling it as as a result as a as a, as a finished product fix right as a fix. yeah it, yeah yeah it's not really the case yeah a lot of people are have the the they have this this idea that you know you just set up a dog for training and you're done the behavior's gone and you don't have to do anything yeah and then you have the opposite end of the spectrum where you have not i won't say like force-free trainers but i'll say force-free extremists where they're literally out to brainwash clients that owning a dog should be a 12, 13 year, that dog's life every single day you're training towards achieving something. No, it's not. You're training to train that dog so that you can take that dog anywhere and thoroughly enjoy your dog. Yeah, training needs to be continued every day, but it should be in such a way that it's so subtle and you're, you're that conditioned to, to handle the dog in a certain way that you don't even think about that. You can right. literally take your dog to the, to the pub for lunch. You can take the dog you know, going for a walk in the hills or you can go to a built-up area. But this whole idea that you're constantly working threshold and you're constantly trying to achieve a dream that's unobtainable, it really, really bites me on the arse. It's, it's not dog training. That's not what it's about. And the only way you really get away with selling that ideology is by brainwashing people that that's what owning a dog is, a constant daily routine of training towards an unobtainable goal. And it's a lifestyle. You should get up and your dog should just kind of know what's, what they're doing because we do it all the time. Yeah. Just, the yeah. creature's a habit. Yeah. You instill them conditioned responses and they just comply and happy to do so. Yes, sir. Still working on that with my dogs. <laughs> yeah. It's the yeah, human yeah. too there. It's the human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, again, a lot of that working with people, you know, people are conditioned to act and react a certain way. And you've got to change those that, that, that in order for the dog to change because the biggest problem I find with working with people is they're not necessarily aware of their own behavior. And we need to be aware of what we're doing because every little thing we do matters to that dog. So yeah. I'm quite ruthless. You see on my videos, um, you know, I can come across as that I don't have you know, much empathy towards people's situations. I do. I just make it clear that I'm not going to act like I care about that because your dog doesn't give a shit. Your dog doesn't care that, you, that your mum's in, not in good health and that your, your husband or your wife's going to leave you. Your dog does not care. It cares what you what it sees every day and what you put down that lead. And, I, you know, I remember when I lost Brody, I'm going to touch on this quickly because I'm still a big fig and wet lettuce over this. But when I lost Brody, that was the single most heartbreaking day of my life. And after being on my hands and knees and screaming in tears, I come home and took my other dog for a walk like nothing had ever happened. Because my dog doesn't need to see that. My dog needs to see. Come on, lad, we're going for a walk. That's it. That is it. And in a way, you know, it, it, it's a good way of, of teaching, you know, self-resilience and, and, and coping strategies in people. You know what I mean? Your dog still needs you. You still got to get up. You still got to put that leash on. You still got to walk and feed the other dog. Yep. Yeah, definitely so. That dog will stay depressed in bed if you stay depressed in bed and they'll be sad if you Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You are your dog's biggest motivator. Boom. Okay. 
So how do you approach clients that are, that really want to work with their dogs and want to make the change so that they can have their dog as part of their everyday life in and out of the home that are at the point where they've got a dog that's so reactive that they have their own like kind PTSD. of reactivity, PTSD, trauma yeah. association with their dog's behavior. Yeah. Like how do you approach such a, a situation like that where it's really quite delicate because that yeah. person's so, response isn't necessarily something that they are aware of. Okay, yeah, so we approach it in a person-centered approach. I'm not only weighing up when I work with the clients of where the dog's starting blocks are. I'm working out where the clients are. Now that dog, that dog might be ready for 40 minute walk today, but the clients might have such anxieties about going out in the real world that they just can't manage to get out the front door. In which case, training starts in their back garden or maybe in their living room. I find out the, the smallest stressful situation I can put that client in and I have them working in that situation predominantly until they've inoculated their stress and anxieties at that level and then we'll we'll systematically start raising the level of stress that they subject themselves to in with the goal of inoculating that stress and also sometimes a lot of reactive dogs they need that break because obviously we know dogs are associative learners and you know sometimes taking them out of that environment where they practice a certain behavior time and time again will give them the break they need to not quite reset them but along that path make them feel a little bit less reactive than they were before. And it's finding that happy balance of client and dog where they can work harmoniously and achieve. It might be the most basic standard result, but it'll be something to achieve. I think a lot of dog trainers, it's very simple. Like dog's reactive, dog can't be reactive. Where there's many, many stages in between there that I will, I just want my clients to have the smallest bit of success. Like for example, someone messaged me on Facebook, on Instagram before pointing out that I'd shared a video of one of my clients and they were walking their reactive, well, human aggressive German shepherd around the garden to heal. And I have, I have a specific code of how people walk their dogs. So one of them being, when we say heal, it's followed by a left leg, a leaving on the left leg. So it's command action reinforcement if needed. And they leave on the left leg and they pointed out, um, is this not confusion that they've just left on their right leg? And I said to them, you know, concentrate on your own journey the the uh, the client that you're talking about had a very very aggressive dog and it was biting them and now their dog's walking to heal around the garden focusing on them and it's not biting them it's important that we celebrate all victories not just the victories that are in line with my standard of training yeah. i'm not training someone's dog to be to my standard i'm training their perfect dog and if we celebrate these small bits of success as a byproduct of that we build confidence in both the client and the dog yeah, and I think that's one thing that a lot of uh, dog owners fail because they try to rush everything. Like they try to rush, even for like basic obedience, even for just simple yeah, yeah. things. People just, they rush, rush, yeah, rush. And it's understandable. Yeah, Take it's understandable. Time. Impatience gets the best out of everyone, doesn't it? They all want this result. We all want it. If we go to the gym, we want to look in fantastic, fantastic mm -hmm. condition tomorrow. After a week, you find yourself looking at yourself going, why the fuck do I still look the same? Right. We all want that. And it's just explaining things to people in such a way that they have realistic goals because when you start giving them goals that are in the clouds all you're giving them is is defeat after defeat after defeat and you're never going to come back from that what i get a lot is uh my old dog or the dog i had before yeah. that's what i get like a lot yeah, of, yeah. a lot yeah everybody wants I shut that down. expectation of their perfect last dog and it's like that's they're, they're not the same every dog is different every single dog whether yeah. you have the same breed over and over 
every single yeah. dog is different. So yeah, I said um, I had a client that said that. I think this was only about two weeks ago. Um, her husband went out the car to get the bag with all the rewards in, and she went. The problem is my old dog. And I went, let me stop you there. Mm -hmm. How far are you going to get with this fella if you say, you know, my old boyfriend? And she just laughed yes. and I went, I went, we don't do that. We're dealing with an individual. We work with a dog centered approach. Great that yes. your last dog was fantastic, but this dog is a different dog. Yes. Mm. That is a great, yeah. yes, that's a great example. You do not want to be compared to your ex. <laughs> you don't want to no. be compared nope. to your mm -hmm. ex. So don't do it with your dog. Yeah. Okay. So I, have a, I have a slightly silly question for you. I think so. Um, silly questions. And I ask Only this, the ones that um, don't get asked. Every single person who comes on our podcast, um, yep. what is your favorite breed and what is your favorite breed to train? Oh, hold on. We yeah. need little signs to like guess the breed and just like put them up. And then when they say that, generally, I think you'd be surprised. I love working with Labradors. Um, Mali's are a nightmare. They're just getting overbred. And when I get a good one, it gets me juices flowing. I'm like, ooh. But when I get a bad one, I'm like, you are in for one fucking journey. You, you do not be alive. <laughs> yeah, I like working with um, bull lurchers. Have you seen any bull lurchers? I find that they're very well put together, very responsive to correction and reward. And generally speaking, when they come in, I am, I, I, I'm pretty excited because I'm, I'm like, I'm, I've had the most horrendous aggressive bull lurchers, and I can flip them around like that, and they have continuous progress with the handler they've, they've, they just seem to be very well put together a working dog and, that's what he likes <laughs> yeah and what is your least favorite sharp haze sharp oh my god it wasn't how you take a yes! breath <laughs> sharp haze are a nightmare they are a absolute cesspool of bad they're genetics. so bougie <laughs> yeah they're a nightmare they're always got dead sensitive skin as well and they a lot of them a lot of them you know even a lot of them are really really fearful genetically but they aggress you know yeah. a lot of you know you can get obviously fearfully aggressive dogs but a lot of fearful dogs will flee as well and will and will suppress most sharpies will find a way to aggress you know and they, they, it's not the dogs are e the dogs are easy we know that we know the progress we know the routine to bring them around but trying to get an owner to understand that it's not a little baby, stop feeling sorry for it, give the dog structure, you know, explaining all the routine and trying to get them to implement it is just so bloody difficult. It's so difficult. Um, and Do you find you know, Sharpay so owners more difficult than most other breed owners? Like Sharpay yeah. and Pug owners? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more, so, it's more so because they're subjected to such fearful behavior of the dog. They're literally just, they, they come in balanced on heartstrings and you're just trying to get through that. That need to pity the dog can be very, very difficult. It can be really difficult. Um, I've got quite a lot of um, footage that I can show them of really seriously fucked up Sharpays that have come round and I go, if you follow the system, this is what you're going to get, but you have to be able to see the wood for the trees. Yes. Okay. There was no hesitation. I'm just happy you didn't say boxers or huskies because boxers can be difficult. They're bouncy. They like to climb the lead when you don't, when you don't get their own way. They have the, you know, they, they're standard um, characteristics, but it's nothing that you can't work through. Um, anything, to be honest, anything that'll active stress when it doesn't get its own way, it's a pain in the ass when you're out in public working it, isn't it? Because you've always got frigging Karens in the background going, what's he doing? You have no idea what's going on. They can't read the situation, can they? For 
My boxer puppy right now can't keep all four of his paws on the ground to save his life. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I, along with him, along with bulldogs, boxers have so much character. They are hilarious. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like personalities people. for days. Yeah. yeah. My uh, one of my clients I was working with sent me a video um, on WhatsApp of him um, of their boxer. And again, I didn't, I didn't tell, they didn't, it was only outside. They didn't need to go into the crate routine. The dog weren't destructive in the house. They were happy with it. And she sent me a video. She come home from work and it was literally sat on its ass, sat up in a chair, watching the football on the telly. Yes. And I, I, I was like, how long has that dog been doing that for? That is hilarious. They have human bodies. <laughs> yeah, they are they hilarious? Yeah. Yeah. They're my favorite breed. Boxers and Huskies are my favorite, which is why I always ask that because 99% of trainers will say my least favorite dogs to train are Boxers and Huskies. Mm. No, no, oh, I, no, I don't I, mind. I Huskies. love training them. I adore training You don't them. love, you no, just don't I would never in my life like own a Husky them. because I said I'm going to go buy a Husky and own yeah. it. I only, I, I like training Huskies, but for the reason that only when you're getting them breed-specific groups. I, when they come, I go, your husky is going to annihilate all because all this bullshit of it must pull, it must be in a harness. You're going to have a recall on husky that walks the heel. And, and, and the, uh, the laugh when I say it. Other difficult breeds. Have you found that a lot of male breeds, like um, male, male Japanese Akitas, male Malmute, um, Alaska Malmutes, they can be bastards. Male Rottweilers, mm -hmm. they can be very, very difficult. They, they're very assertive um, genetically. They can be very difficult to work with. Most nine times out of ten, someone will message me and go, I, uh, can you help me with me um, with, with me male um, Japanese Akita? And I message back and go, are you having aggression problems? And they go, yeah, I go, thought so. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's predictable when you see that breed. You're yeah. like, I already know what your problem is. And this is because yeah. these dogs are meant to work and they're just, they're not working. They're just being cute little fluffy pets. Yeah. That's not a cute little yeah. fluffy pet. That's a very strong dog. That's a very big and dog. They, and they, you know, <laughs> they're being bred into a society that's given dogs freedom of choice like they're people. And when you give a dog freedom of choice and don't and don't direct them to what they should do, then they'll be directed towards what gen their genetic disposition says to do. And that's when you have fallout. And it's the same with the Malleys. Yes, sir. It's the same with your human children. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't have to tell your child to brush your teeth and get ready for school and all that for a few years. Yeah, or yeah. Everybody needs a little structure in their life. Oh, yeah, 100%. So you right. said that you live on the same, uh, on your, like you live and work out of the same place. Um, do you have a yeah. facility on your property or do you just work your facility from your, out of your house? Yeah, I have a facility on my property. So I have a, um, a farm that, I, that is now a dog training center. So I have a, like a big cottage on the farm where I live. And then I've changed the barns into, um, into working areas for the dogs. Goals, baby. It's goals. All right. So for people in the UK that are looking for a trainer, um, what kind of services does your facility offer? Oh, um, everything except competitive agility. Um, we cater for all behavior modification with any breed. Um, we we have residential training options as well. I have a team of now five trainers that we can um, we can take dogs and um, put together training programs and basically instill all the foundations because that's can usually the hard bit, isn't it? getting them over when you change the routine if you have to introduce a crate you've got anxiety in the crate and you know dogs climbing human, the leaves, human and dog anxiety in the crate. <laughs> yeah 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 we do in um, protection training we've supplied dogs for the police the prison services and we do detection dog training again exactly the same as behavior mod i will not affiliate with any awarding body because they are all full of shit <laughs> I like it. I like it. fair enough fair enough 
Okay. Now I know with the UK right now, they are, uh, you guys are struggling with the e-collar ban. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that, about what's going on with that? Yeah. So basically we've been cutting. Okay. Explain what yeah. e-collar is because I have a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. So yeah, there is a, um, there's a proposed ban by the, uh, the UK, by the UK government. Um, DEFRA proposed a ban on the use of electronic training collars. Um, the ban is based on absolute nothing but emotive nonsense. Um, the the DEFRA study that they're going off as is absolutely no proof. In 2018, it was deemed no fit reason to ban the use of electronic training collars. Um, England is split into England, uh, um, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Uh, Wales actually banned the use of electronic collars in 2010, and as a result of that, if you put together the, the police constabulary of England, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, um, in comparison, Wales' percentage of dogs being shot for chasing livestock has gone up by 33% compared to all three of them districts combined as a, as a direct result of banning the use of the electronic collar. Um, myself, James Penrith, and um, Ardo, for anyone who doesn't know what Ardo is, the Association of Responsible Dog Owners, you can visit all, uh, Ardo website at joinardo.com. And you'll find all the studies related to e-collars and any information you need on that Ardo website. And you can find, you can look at that wherever you are in the world. We've been protesting. We've done March protests. I think we had about two, 300 people with their dogs marching in close proximity through the streets of London. We knocked on the doors of the government building DEFRA and we handed them each individual letters explaining the use and the benefits of electronic training collars. Me and James have been to meetings in parliament where they've talked about regulation and we are still fighting this ban. We have now combining letters. We've, we've asked all uh, disabled and elderly people that are physically limited with handling their dogs to write letters to the government um, explaining how the government um, are now seeking to make these tools illegal and what have they considered the impact it's going to have on people that are not necessarily as able-bodied as the norm. Um, I saw, should I say, as, gen as the general public, as um, and um, the... Uh, they have to basically have an alternative for banning the use of e-collars. And so far there isn't. There isn't a single study out there that proves that positive reinforcement is a suitable replacement for any sort of punishment or any sort of balanced dog training. Um, not a single study exists. It's all just absolute nonsense. So we are fighting tirelessly, especially James Penrith. That man should be knighted for the work he does for dogs um, at his own expense. Um, at his family's expense, he is absolutely soldiered on. And, um, you know, we're, we're making some wiggle room. Nothing's in concrete. Um, it's absolutely an atrocity if the government uh, decide to ban the electronic training collar. And by the way, they're only banning handheld devices. You know, the use of, of bark collars, which we know bark collars malfunction. I don't like to use bark collars anymore because, you know, they do malfunction. They're not banning containment fences or anything like that, which suggests which suggests that there is not actually a problem with the aversion of low-level stimulation. Yeah, it's, it's about, about the margin pain. for human. It's about the margin for human error. In which case, that's a cause to regulate, not to ban. So you know, we, so we are okay. we are fighting. It's okay for your dog to get electrocuted passing a threshold, yeah. but it's not okay for a, a, a service dog handler to keep her service dog off yeah. leash and safe. And it, I oh that that, that it's crazy. Me. It is crazy. Wow. And to be honest. If I was in any position of power, if I was in any position of power, you know, these educated people that hold these positions of power, if someone presented that to me that they of why they are gonna they want they seek a ban, 
I would literally slap it down in front of them and say, do you think I am some sort of fucking moron? Are you expecting me to, to, to take this as, as legitimate reasons to ban the use of anything? Take right. that out and get out my office. I, I, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing hand, that they- Your hands-on yeah. experience, you're, I mean, years of you doing this, and like, you know what you're doing. You, I mean- Yeah. And you're well, not just that. teaching. Not, ju not just that as well. You know, the, um, they put the vote to the, to the public. I think it was only 5,000 people that even bothered to vote on the topic out of the whole of the UK. And it was like 75% of people voted against the ban. And yet the government is still trying to go ahead with it with no concrete evidence and the people speaking. And I called this, funny it's tied in with the, um, the mandatory vaccinations um, that the government are looking at scrapping now. But I said three years ago, this is not, this is not about e-collars. This is about the, the, the compromise and the very democracy we all live in. There's no science to back it up. And the public, the, gov the people spoke against it and yet the government stands to do it anyway. That is not the act of a democracy. That is the act of a dictatorship. And if they can dictate on the use of just electronic collars, what else can they tell you you've got to do? Do you know what I mean? And, you know, for the people who are viewing this now, mark my word, this isn't a war on e-collars. This is the start of a war on punishment, full stop. And to suggest that dogs are the only living mammal on the planet that are, are, are the exception to learning from the negative consequences of life as well as the positive is absolutely ludicrous. And it is based on nothing other than somebody's personal emotive beliefs, which is ridiculous. You're all entitled titled to believe that you should train your dog how you want to train them, but you should not be forcing that upon anyone else. And if, you know, for anyone viewing now, if you wish to train your dog in a purely, as purely positive reinforcement based way as possible, that is completely your choice. And I respect that 100%. Do not impose your will on anyone else. People have the right to decide what's right for their dogs. I agree 110%. I agree. I love it. I love it. Great, Dan. Good stuff. I love it. Got me all fired up. I want to go visit the UK. <laughs> go, go fight with you about this e collar No, that's sad. <laughs> really, it's it, that's a big deal. Like, I don't think people understand. Yeah, it like, it, service dog handlers. I've trained a few service dog handlers that cannot even hold a leash, and they do need, yeah. you know, require a button yeah. to walk with their dogs. Um, their dog does require to be off leash to perform the task. Mm. Um. And then yeah, but you have two sides, but you have two sides to service dogs now. It's a very toxic world, this service dog game, this service dog industry. I've, I've, I've put my head in it a few times and I, I thought it couldn't get any worse than the behavior side, but it really is. You see, I'm a firm believer that service dogs provide structure for people who, are, who feel like they, they need something to be emotionally dependent on by giving, by putting your time into structured routine with a dog, gets you over your personal problems. Um, and, and that really does help people. But you have the side where they honestly believe that pouring your, your depression or your anxieties into your dog is a suitable outlet. It is not. It is not a suitable outlet. And they're the people that are starting to fight. They excuse their dog's poor behavior because that dog helps them with their, you know, their, their negative emotional state or their, or their personal problems. That is not what dogs are there for. They, that is not what their dogs are there for. There's some great people in this country that are doing some fabulous work with veterans with PTSD through service dogs. And they are not crying and pouring their hearts into their dogs. They're right. giving these people purpose. They're giving these people purpose to get out of bed and get into a routine and train their dog and aspire to concentrate on having that dog have a fulfilled and happy life. And as a byproduct of that, they find that they're having a happy, fulfilled life as well. But I find that the toxicness from this, that side of the industry comes from the people that are encouraging people to pour their, their emotion into their dog. 
and encourage them that their dog doesn't need training. It's specifically there for their emotional needs. That is not what a dog is about, in my personal That's opinion. That's not even what a service dog is. A service dog performs tasks. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, well, like... that, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that in a lot of the cases. You know, I see a lot of service dogs that, that are performing tasks and their, their training is around that. But there are people that are saying my dog's a service dog, but literally just to pour their heart into their own dog. And it might make them feel better. But again, we're talking about false positives because my question is, what happens, God forbid, when that dog dies? You're going to be in a worse state than you even started. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I'm a I'm a service dog handler. Um, my first service dog passed away three years ago in like a week. Um, and I have a I have um, an in-home service dog in training right now and another service dog in training for um, public access. Um, mine is psychiatric. Um, but my dogs were trained for my, my, my dog was trained for interrupting, um, yep. crowd control, but things like that. Your dogs are doing and have foundation training. I'm I yeah. referring to people that just slapping on a vest. Yes, that's not, that's not service dogs. That's emotional Yeah, yeah. And by no means, and by no means, means yeah, and by, and by no means, um, it's a bit when it, it's more of a thing in the US than it is in the UK. But what I'm seeing, yeah, it's the it's the emotive side of this where there's no there's no like um, structured training in place to do tasks. It's just solely there because it makes them feel better. And they're the people I find that are taking digs at people who are putting who are putting time and knowledge into these dogs to do tasks and perform these tasks. It's a very confused area of dog training. It's by no means my you know my my um my speciality i don't train service dogs it's not my area of expertise at all but what what i see dog training is um it transpires you can see where the um where the foundations are you can see dog training dog training is that when you look at it from uh, like that and i see a lot of the problem is coming from people who aren't actually training their dogs they just call them service dogs because they make them feel better do you know what i mean yeah they're um they're actually a very big problem especially in the u.s um Especially at Walmart. <laughs> Stop taking Especially your pets to Walmart. Walmart. Yeah. Um, yeah. They are a big problem in the U.S. And there's, because we don't have any regulations for um, service dogs and things like that, because it's such a difficult area, such a weird area of, of medical overlapping with government. Um, yeah. I don't think we ever will, uh, which just means that what we wind up doing what we wind up dealing with is um people increasingly ignoring um ada requirements because they've come across so many fake service dog handlers or people saying their emotional support animal is their service dog when an emotional support animal is just a pet what i've been seeing yeah. a lot of is yeah. actual service dogs being turned down because of the pet with a vest yeah. you know because yeah. Pretty- yeah. People came in there with a pet barking at everybody. So now that establishment doesn't allow even service yeah. dogs in or real actual service dogs mm. in because of people who are just trying to pass yeah. their pets to service. My my part of the, my part of the country, it's all kind of branded under the same thing. I'm thinking more of emotional support dogs when I'm talking. It's um, like I say, it's not really my thing, but where I'm from, it's all kind of put under this one banner. And I, and I, I don't believe in in dogs supporting people's emotions. I believe you should channel those emotions productively by training your dog um a lot you'll see you know you'll all agree that a lot of aggression and reactivity in dogs comes from people literally pouring their emotion into the dogs and the dog has no structure and no understanding of what it needs to happen 
not what needs to happen. You know what I mean? When, when certain situations yeah. occur. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's the, uh, it's the emotional, emotional su support animals, which. I met a, I met a person the other day <sighs> who needed, uh, who asked if I was a medium for pets. And I was like, no, I'm a dog trainer. What's wrong with your dog? So we're, we were in a fire and, you know, she has a little PTSD and she seems just shut down and scared. I think I need a medium to just tell me and, you know, to explain to her that nothing is wrong and that she is fine. And I was like, well, I could do that through training. I can show you how to yeah. build confidence in your dog. And instead of you holding her in your lap like this, you know, actually putting her on the ground and teaching her that this is a fun environment to be in, not uh, coddle her mm. into that emotion. Like just, you're literally <laughs> sitting on- this, this is it. People don't understand that stress is everywhere in life and you have to inoculate stress in a dog. Avoiding stressful situations with your dog is not going to get them over stressful situations. Subjecting them to limited amounts of stress, inoculating it and allowing them to increase their resistance to stress is how you get through it. The problem is there's people that get impatient and try and fly to here and that's what we call flooding. It's too much too soon. I just chucked my reactive dog in a bus and then we traveled for a month. <laughs> don't get me wrong sometimes some situations some yeah flooding, some flooding may be required for some dogs 100 percent 100 it's actually 100%. helped him quite a bit that was yeah. it that but, wasn't flooding this is, that was not flooding and this is what experience tells you there's many dogs that i go right march through that and the, the dog's going to be fine he'll throw a little wobbler and then he'll be fine and then there's many dogs that i'll go i had a labrador just in then i said no 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 this dog's freaking out in the dark when people come close and that's going to have to be approached slowly but surely given the dog a number of victories and, un and, and the understanding that, oh, is this a social norm? Do these things happen? Do people approach in the dark and everything's fine and then move on a little bit further? It's about, again, a dog-centered approach. Every dog is different. I've had many dogs, my, my, um, my protection dogs, I know the genetics, the lineage to my dogs and they all have fear periods and I will literally march them on a bus or do what I need to do knowing that that dog will go oh shit oh shit mm -hmm. oh yeah okay that's fine yeah. it. it's about yeah. knowing the individual dog you're working with 100 percent yeah imagine, i was worried about it imagine that, it. Norka, imagine Norka that is one of my trainers and uh i said norka is one of my trainers and i was for this for this i have five dogs for this particular dog who's fear he's fear reactive um and i was like oh my god how am i going to adjust to this she's like just go like I tell people stuff and then three weeks later they have barely inched into it I'm like dude just yeah. fucking do it that thing you're wanting yeah. to do with your dog just fucking do it mm -hmm. unless it's like unless your dog suffers from like mm -hmm. severe behavior problems yeah. obviously no but there's so many people that just like and you get a hesitate to just do that one but, thing yeah. but also also you know we're all fallible human beings I've got that wrong before the narrative that our dogs are these fragile little creatures that can't cope with anything is absolutely ridiculous. A lot of dog training, you know, proper dog training, not these dog ticklers that the ink's still wet on a bullshit qualification they paid £6,000 for. Not these people, but proper dog training. You call upon thousands of dogs in years of experience, not a thousand years, but you get where I'm going. And you call upon <laughs> yeah, a thousand dogs and years of experience to say, this is how we're going to do this. But sometimes you call it wrong. And that experience is... As it's going wrong, okay, stop, take it back. That's yep. not going to work for this particular dog. We're going to go down this route instead. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. The idea that, you know, if you're a good dog trainer, you can't make a mistake ever is just fucking ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. And yeah, that yeah. is what social media brings for dog training. A bunch of cars going, 
if yeah, you're a so good trainer, ah, if yeah. you're a good trainer, you are always learning. I mean, you've been doing this always. 10 years. I've been, I've been doing this 10 years myself. And I started with behavior yeah. modification. I started with aggression. I started with all that stuff. And just last, like two weeks ago, I met a client and I was like, what the fuck am I doing with your dog? Like, what is, holy shit. You know, I, I saw this dog and I'm just like, we tried this, that didn't work. We tried that, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. We're trying yeah. with the dog, but I can't approach that dog the same way I approach other dogs because there's a whole but, but you, different you have that, You have that, that outlook in any other industry and it's acceptable. So let me give you an example, right? So I, I boxed growing up. So you get in the ring with a fighter and you go around and getting your head punched in and your job is, oh, okay, my tactics were wrong there. I need to work out what this guy's going to do. Throw a couple of feints. What do you do when I do this? What do you do when I do that? And now adapt to it. It's exactly the same with dog training, but you go back to your corner and your coach goes, nah, you need to press this guy. You need to do this. When he throws this hand, you need to do this instead. Okay, thanks, boss. You do that with your dog. And a thousand people go, he doesn't know what he's doing. What the fuck is it? You know what I mean? You're like, what are you talking about? It's, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, you know what I mean? Practice. It's 100%. You have to feel out and see how the dog responds to this and how the dog responds to that. And, you know, most of the time when you're experienced, you just go, boom, it's done. But there are times when you go, okay, we're going to go down this avenue instead. Okay, no, let's change that. We'll go back to this, but then we'll add a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. It's all a work in progress. And, you know, for any new dog trainers that are watching this podcast, it's okay, but you have to have your heart in the right place. You have to let your heart override your ego and you have to know when this isn't working. Let's take this a step back. Let's do this. Okay, let's do that. Okay, this might be a little bit out of my skill set. I'm going to refer you to someone else. Here's your money for the, for the session. Best of luck. Please let me know how you're getting on. And then I'll liaise with that trainer and go, how did you go about that out of curiosity? There is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I have many trainers that do that and I'm happy to disclose what I did with that particular dog. Love it. Love it, love it. Hey, Alexis, you got any questions over there? I know you're used to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's a quiet one. She's a little shy. I guarantee I'm minding her business. <laughs> yeah. Oh. New person in the room, and I'm like, this is awkward. Um, that last bit is like story of my life right now. Uh, having a dog that like routinely throws other trainers off, and everyone's kind of just like, well, let's try this, let's try that. Nope, we're backtracking. That's my life right now with my shepherd. Yeah. Give her to Danny. Yeah. Get, just, just. I know. I'm just Danny. gonna ship her. Give her today. Get two weeks with Danny. You're fine. <laughs> Four well, weeks. When minimum. are you coming to the US, Danny? <laughs> At this point, um, I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be coming to the US, the US a couple of years ago, um, but then all the coronavirus happened, and um, again, I'm not going to go into the politics of it. But I, I, I'm, I didn't want to get no, no vaccination. My body was dealing with everything, and I just weren't going to be pressured into it for any reason. But as soon as, um, as soon as uh, things are going well again and everything's back on track i'm gonna i'm gonna come out and visit a few different people i'm not gonna go out and try and make any money and do any seminars um i'm literally just gonna go and see a couple of people that are like-minded and and if they're happy to spend a day with them and exchange some you know knowledge with them and you know no charge no 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 i'm I'm not there for for trainers yeah hanging out with dog people yeah yeah call me 100 (laughs) percent Yeah, <laughs> I'm only sure like six hours from Norca, sure and Alexis is only ten hours from me. So yeah. swing on by the south. <laughs> yeah, swing on by in the UK. In the UK, you can literally get from one end to the other in six hours. That's a mission for me, though. <laughs> That's nothing. I did that yesterday. <laughs> nothing. <for> uh, <laughs> 
Danny. All right, uh, Danny, um, so what is one piece of advice that you give to most of your clients? What is one piece of advice that you're just like, you can't leave my facility without, without this? Um, hmm, that's a good question, that. Um, Oh God, I couldn't. I'll come back to that. I can't. I can't think off the top of my head. Very, very rarely does anyone get me stumped for a comeback there, Nora. So freaking pat on the back here. Pat on the back. All right, you do that one. And treat your dog. Treat your dog like a dog. Treat your dog like a dog. Think of the dog as a dog. That's that's that'd probably be the most consistent advice. If you think of your dog as a dog, you'll get more out of that dog than you can ever imagine. If you start trying to push what your any sort of emotion into your dog as a person you'll have a, a false understanding of a relationship between you and the dog. If you treat the dog like a dog, you'll be rewarded so much back. It's unreal. And you'll both benefit from that. What is a command that you don't ever teach? Like a command that um, you're just like, why do people do this? Um, no, 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 no again. No, no. My favorite. People, My people favorite. just become fucking white My noise in the background of the dog. Shake, sit, paw, sit, shake, yeah. shake, paw. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like, I don't like when people tell the dog how good it's been as well. So they go like, sit. Oh, that's a good sit. Oh yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do it for myself when I say it. That's a good yeah. boy. Yeah, that's all yeah. me. Listen, I, I talk. You see, I'm just gonna hide behind my, my microphone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I talk shit to my dogs when I'm on my own. I've got a, I've got a pit bull mix that we took for the rescue, <laughs> and um. I haven't trained him specifically because he's going to be the uh, the star of the academy I'm going to take because he's very, very high drive. His game is anything. He's completely untrained. And I've left him untrained and let him just do what he wants because I'm going to train him in the academy so people can see the journey. Basically what Zach George did, only I'm not going to fuck the dog up. I'm going to train him, right? Um, and we can edit morning, that out. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever remember the, uh, do you ever remember the song, um, Scatman? Do you remember the song, Scatman? I'm a Scatman. Do you remember that song? It must be a UK thing, but every morning his name's Ralph, and every morning I come downstairs and go, "He's a rough man," and he goes, "Whoa!" and he starts bouncing and spinning around. Uh, you better record that entire journey. That, that great. I will. No, yeah, it will. It'll be there. But yeah, so be clients do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> I love it. I um, I frequently tell my dogs that I'm going to turn them into tacos. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, They're criminals, okay. all of them. Um, all right. Well, do you have any questions for us? Um, yes. Yeah, so um, how did you all get into in the industry? Um, I started off uh, at a doggy daycare like 10 years ago, just saw an ad online and was like, oh, cool. I could do receptionist at a doggy daycare. And when I went, they had an opening for like a handler in, in the back in the kennel room. And they offered me that position instead. And and the ball rolled from there. The, the owner that worked for there, or the owner that the, the the guy that owned the place, um, he's been training dogs for like twenty five years, and he was doing like you know, fight work stuff, police dog stuff. He was doing all sorts of shit, service dog training. So I just apprenticed mm -hmm. with him for a few years, and then went on my own. Oh, good stuff. I have a fear reactive boxer that I um, finally got serious about because it got bad enough that I needed to find a trainer. And so about a year and a half ago now, um, I started getting into training and got serious and started getting educated and meeting people. And now I'm an apprentice. Okay, cool. Good stuff.
And lastly, yeah. are you still there? <laughs> I, we had just a little chaos. Roommate got home and then was like, going to say hi. Uh, I got into it because of, of adopting a very dog aggressive German Shepherd that was undisclosed aggression and then couldn't find a trainer to help. And everyone was just like, no, just euthanize her. And I said, fuck that, I'll figure it out myself. So I've just been figuring it out myself and still learning. Very good. That's good. You never stop learning. Never stop learning. No. Yeah. And yeah. It's, 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 there's just, just so much argument still about like just equipment and ideologies yeah. and just. Yeah. I think also about the way people relate to people. I, I spoke about this in a live the other day. You know, we, we live in, a, in, a, in a, an era where we can literally have face-to-face -face conversations from seven to 8,000 miles away. And with that comes different levels of social capital. How I was raised is not how you guys were raised. So, you know, I've had a lot of, of, um, of negative, uh, negative videos about me saying that I'm a misogynist if I call someone like love or girl or whatever. But I explained to them, you know, where I'm from, Every little girl growing up will be, hello, princess, hello, girl, you know, all right? Every male will be, hello, big man, hello, lad. This yeah. is just how we speak. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's such a misunderstanding where everyone wants to jump on the I'm offended by this wagon when people have different levels of social capital. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. we, we, we need to start being more aware that we're not from the same parts of the world mm -hmm. and what might be acceptable in one part of the world won't be in another. Like, you know, I have, a very basic view, and I admittedly then kind of branched in emotional support dogs with service dogs because I could literally go into Liverpool Town Centre for 10 days for five hours on the trot and I wouldn't see one service or emotional support dog because they're not round here. So going off the back of that, if anyone has any experience, I'd be happy to you know see what's going on and learn more about this. So I have a limited view, but as soon as as soon as like B mentioned what she done, I go, oh, right, okay, then I'm more talking about this. So, you know, my experience and my understanding of what that is, isn't the same as yours, clearly. So I'll back away from it and admit, and admit defeat. Okay, I need to learn more about this. I'll branch that all in because you don't really see it around here. All I see is what people, what people push on social media. So people are so quick to jump, but they don't realize we all have different levels of experience and see different things. I get, you know, the average, the average force free trainers trying to educate me on aggression. If they spent one full day at my training center, they would shit their pants and run like the wind. They would never know what hit them. This isn't a little dog that might redirect. This is a dog that will pursue you. You know what I mean? And it's eat. a different world. Yeah, it's a different well, world. With the with the differences of, of how people interact and, and how people were raised, Norco was raised drastically different from me. Right. She was raised in Chicago. I was raised yeah. poor in Northern California. Alexis was raised in Utah. And even just in the US, the differences between how all three of us were raised are drastically huge. Mm -hmm. Because how you're raised on the East Coast versus how you're raised on the West Coast versus how you're raised on the South versus how you're raised in the North of yeah. just yeah. our one very large you're, country. If you've ever been to, to Chicago, like there's already mm -hmm. so much. Yeah, like it's... Yeah. It's so different. And then yeah. if you just get into our bigger cities, you have the same experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of people forget that you're, that you're right. I think a lot of people do forget that we all communicate differently because we're all from different backgrounds. And in the age of social mm -hmm. media and technology, we can mm -hmm. do exactly what we're doing right now, which is talking from three different states in the U.S. 
and then across an entire ocean mm-hmm. in a different continent. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, you know, at, at any point, <clears throat> regardless of my social capital, whatever I say, if I ever offend anyone, never anyone out there, never be afraid to bring that up. I'll be the first person. I'm really sorry I offended you. I didn't mean that. I meant X, Y, and Z. But what we find is when we're like-minded with people from around the world, we can discuss that and we understand that. But as soon as there's any sort of personality clashes, you've got people that are jumping and looking for, for reasons to call, call people out on, you know, friggin' ableism, misogyny, racist. It, it's just, I'm like, I mean, it is out there. Don't get me wrong. But so, it's so, so often do I see it, see it happening and go, what are they talking about? I'm not seeing that. What are they talking about? And, and, you know, you go out a dictionary and you look up the definition and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? But me point, the reason I bring it up is all it does is sideswipe people away from the actual content of dog training. It makes it about political nonsense. It really does. Yeah. I had a meltdown about anyone. that this summer on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. I stick to my dog training stuff. I'm done. Yeah. Like, I, I think that people need to focus less dogs. on. Yeah. less on going after each other and more on the dogs and the owners and stick to your uh, field whatever you're teaching just stick to that don't stick your nose yeah. in other fields and start talking about things you have never worked with or touched if you don't have never yeah. had an e-collar in your hand and were never yeah. professionally trained how to use it you cannot talk about that tool if you have never yeah. worked with a prong collar you can't just say oh no prop collars are horrible i've never needed it for my chihuahua like okay but yeah. every person every person that's ever talked shit on any of our social medias all have one thing in common you will not see any actual dog training on their platforms they all just have so much to say i would never ever in a million years jump on you know a tesla forum and go Elon doesn't know what the fuck he's doing with electric cars because that makes me a dickhead because I don't know nothing about that subject. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I would never do it. But there's so many people in the dog train industry just feel like it's their, their duty bound to give their opinion when their opinion is nonsense. They've never been there. You know, or, you know, well, I've had a journey. I've Shepherd, trained so I know two Malinois and that didn't yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It is absolute craziness. Like you got to up your numbers there if you've only trained two Malinois. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I use my social media to to play to the people that enjoy my content. You know, I'm very outspoken. I don't really care about political correctness. I, I never, ever change. Anyone who comes to me always says, you are literally exactly the same person that you see on social media. And I pride myself on that. I'm, I have a lot of integrity about me. But I use these people. When you see me going at people and taking the piss, I never just go after them. They've always poked me. They've always poked me with a stick and then they don't like it when I bite back. And... Don't when you do there. it, <laughs> they'll walk away there. thinking they win when I block them. But what they don't realize is I'll use them because I know my, my audience like that about me. So I'll use it. I'll go back and forth. And when I'm bored, I block them and move on. And they think, ha, I've won. But what they don't realize is I've just generated another 300, 300 followers and probably about 2,000 pounds worth of work when people go, hi, I've just stumbled across your profile. I go, hi, I'm happy to tell. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, um, but they're too stupid and emotionally invested in trying to win a bullshit argument that they don't realize. They, they work for me. They literally work for me. I, I'm, I'm off the scale ADHD. They hold my attention for all of a day max. And as soon as a new topic comes in, I go, yeah, 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 I'm bored now, block. And then I crack on. Do you know what I mean? 
and you forget all about them and you move on. You keep training fucking yeah, dogs yeah. and making that money. I'm there, I'm there, I'm there <laughs> up in mother's meetings, high-fiving each other going, did he block you? He blocked me. We win. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You're still working in freaking the off-license selling fucking ale to underage kids while I'm freaking smashing life. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you still change your dog's life and they're still over there teaching us sit. That is not consistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making right, it well, I'm gonna go. mission now to just to just play with them and not get not get annoyed. <laughs> it gets it gets his views. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, and I understand. Works. I understand. For as many people who follow me, double hate me, but I can live with that. <laughs> I love your work, dude. I love. It. Yeah, don't just make right, a well, account. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Danny, for coming on our podcast. Um, for our listeners, I will put all of Danny's information down below. And um, what's the website for the Responsible Dog Owners um, Association of Responsible Dog Owners? www.joinardo.com. I'll put that as well. Um, and uh, our own socials for Let's Talk Dog Podcast are the same as they have always been. On TikTok and Instagram, we are at Let's Talk Dog Podcast, and our website is Let's Talk Dog Podcast.com. And from there, you can find all of the socials for me, Norca, Alexis, and also Rachel, who comes on occasionally too. Um, but thank you very much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you. Ladies, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.